Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting worldwide on Internet Radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode, this week's episode of Refresh Your Wealth Open Forum, where we answer tough tax and legal business questions in a fun <laughs> and interesting format. That's our goal. Got my amazing co-host, Matt Sorensen, on with me here. Matt, yep. how are you doing today? Uh, yeah, baby. I'm just peachy today. Very, uh, I guess that sounds a little fruity of a description, huh, peachy? Uh <laughs> I'm happy yeah. to be here. You know, tax and legal, there's nothing that gets me more excited than answering tax and legal questions. And I say that seriously. You're probably thinking this guy's crazy, but I'm, I mean that. I really mean that. And we got a lot of questions that we are behind on. I think today's kind of catch-up for Mark and I. It's like we owe it to you guys to catch up on all these great questions that have been sent over. Yeah, it is. It is cleanup day. And uh you know, we love talk, answering any questions. These just happen to be the only answers we have. So if you <laughs> throw out any other question, uh, good luck. Yeah, so, no one wants to care what we think about, you know, politics. Yeah. Otherwise, no one cares what we think. And that's okay. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's all right. Fair enough. So, yeah, crazy week, man. Impeachment and State of the Union all in the same week. I, it's just kind of I know. crazy. And the Democrat so, primary that I, don't, I still don't know, did someone win that? Or do they still counting votes? Do they get a new app? I don't know. It was a little bit of a – if you're a Democrat, you got to be a little disappointed. Yeah, well, you're like, we whatever. got a window here, people. Let's not screw it up, you know. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. the first one, line with a not so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't even get a shoot, man. They, like, put their foot on the line and got – you know, anyways. Yeah. Well, well, we do not talk politics on this show. We are all about yeah. making you money, protecting it, saving it. And if we get someone in office that does crappy tax legislation, we try to figure out a way around it. If someone gives us a loophole, we're going to grab it, whether they're good or bad, uh, politically for you. Let's just worry about the numbers. So uh, mm-hmm. you won't expect any Rush Limbaugh twists here or – I don't even know who's left and right anymore. I just, just stay on the center I don't lane. Know I don't know Do my thing. Yeah, I don't know. That's right. So um, yeah. I think we have a couple live callers today, so we'll do our best to get them on the line. But we're going to we're gonna field a lot of the questions that have kind of uh, in, came in over the last two co- open forums and, and try to get those answers to you. We appreciate all of you listening. And if we don't get to your questions, don't beat us up. Just you know, we appreciate you. Just keep listening, share the mm-hmm. podcast with your network, and we'll be here in the future to help you out. Yeah. So do our best. So Matt, you're you're the uh, I guess the director today. So you're gonna you're gonna throw out the questions. Yeah. You, you got yep. the best access to them today. All right. So I do. Yep, I got I them. So I'm 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 ready here to play. Uh, I guess I'm like, uh, oh, what's the guy on Jeopardy? Alex Trebek? Am I Alex Trebek? I get to like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, Trebek. I'm something. Trebek? I'm something. Yeah. Trebek. Yeah. Drew, Drew Carey on uh, Price is Right. Okay. Which, uh, by the way, fun fact, the Ken Jennings guy, you know, that was like the Jeopardy champ of all time, I actually worked with that guy at one point, back way back when I was in undergrad. Anyways. Well, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. No one knew he was such a genius. But whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, fun that's interesting. You never, you never know who you're um, next to. Could be a serial killer know, or a Jeopardy be, champion. 
<laughs> Way to bring it down. I've been watching too much Dateline lately. Yeah, I gotta quit watching Dateline. Obviously, yeah. obviously. Yeah, Jeez, that's our Okay. You know, that's our problem. My wife and I on our date night we watch Dateline, where we discover most marriages either end in divorce or someone gets killed. So it's it's not too heartwarming. Yeah. For some reason, we're into that. So. I guess. I guess. You know. I guess you. They just like. Well, we could have been those guys. I mean, you know. Not yeah, so bad. That's true. <laughs> Maybe look at that. I need to watch the Notebook. Yeah, I need. That's watch right. No <laughs> good. Notebook. It's riff. A good rom com. Maybe in there every once in a while. Yeah. Rom-com. Nice little rom com. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's our first All right, you question? You want me to do some questions? All right. All right. Yep. This is from now. Eric. Do it, people. All right. Okay. This is from Eric from the the uh, great city of Tucson, Arizona, where my two daughters live and go to school. University of Arizona. Go Wildcats. Um, all right, this is a great question, um, and, and uh, it says, I'm a sales representative. What non-reimbursed deductions can I take, can I claim on my taxes, if any? I'm looking to deduct expenses, and now he says that my employer, that's an important word, does not pay or reimburse. For example, my employer pays for my gas and oil changes, but not the other vehicle-related expenses. I work remotely, so I have a home office, and I commute directly to my customers. None of my home office expenses are reimbursed. I'm trying to get a better understanding of my tax situation. Love the show. Thanks in advance, Eric. Wow. Um, do I get to be good cop or bad cop here? What do you want me to do? Uh, you can be both. I, 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 I was uh, hoping you'd I, have a good answer on this. <laughs> okay. It's, well, the, the hard <laughs> – I don't know if the there's well, if he was self-employed, he does say employer in here. That's why I was confused. He says I'm a sales rep, but he says he refers to his you know, employer, so I presume he's employee. Yeah. Yeah, so let's take two models here. And for those of you that are in California, you've heard, I'm sure, in the news the all the chatter about AB5. That's Appleberry yeah. 5, the number 5. And it's really trying to get employers that are treating employees – like subs and giving them 1099s, it's, it's pulling them out of the dark and saying, you better give them a W-2 or you're in big trouble. And so California is really ratcheting down on this, this issue to try to collect more taxes, typical California. So everybody out there listening, we're getting more and more calls like this because under the GOP tax bill two years ago, the unreimbursed employee expenses are gone. They're gone. So mm-hmm. if you were a cop and you bought your own sidearm, you could write that off. If you're a nurse or a, a, a doctor and you bought some scrubs and you worked at the hospital, you bought them yourself, you could write that off. If you're a sales rep, you bought a laptop or you do your home office like Eric here, you could t- take a write-off for that. No more. And people are starting to figure this out. I know it's a delayed reaction for us. We saw this right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But for some of you catching on here, you're seeing, what the heck? I thought I could write that off. So assuming Eric is an employee W-2, He's a sales rep, but he's W-2, and he throws out the word employer. Um, then he says, I don't know. So we're going to assume for a moment he's getting a W-2. There's no write-off yeah. for those unreimbursed expenses. It's just yeah. the way it is. Um, yeah, and this is why that not. ABC or that you know that California law, right, people that are maybe self-employed are going to get pushed into this W-2, They're gonna, this, that's going to hit them hard. All these expenses that are not going to get, that are not reimbursed, you're not deducting those on your taxes anymore. Yeah, it's not good. Now, for those of you out there, now I'm going to give a third lifeline or, or a third point. But number two point is, if Eric or if any of you are a 1099, don't call the person paying you your employer. Call them your client, and then they send you out to other clients or something. But they're not your employer, so. If Eric's getting a W-2, I'm sorry, a 1099, then all those write-offs that your client is not reimbursing you for, those are a great write-offs. You're boom and bang. You're in business. Um, so you, first, the, number one, if you're a W-2 employee, no write-off. Number two, if you're a 1099 subcontractor, sky's the limit. Let's write off any related expense we can think of. Third, if you're employee, Eric, this is why you're listening to the show. Start a small business on the side. Let's start working an angle. Do you have a rental property? Do you have something you're selling on the web? Are you providing a service, some outside consulting? 
Now we can take write-offs for those things that your daytime employer is not reimbursing you for, but you're using those expenses in your side business. Now we've created a write-off, and that's really your only lifeline. So, Matt, anything you want to add to it? No, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the rub, and I have to say, the way the employer does that is not very fair to an employee where they're only reimbursing your gas and oil changes, like your actual expenses, because you're right, the wear and tear on your car, you know, it's just kind of is an expense to you as well, the miles you're putting on it, and that's why I would think you would generally get reimbursed mileage, and that's what most employers will do in employee-employer-employee relationship is reimburse your mileage. Um, because that's going to take into the gas and your oil change and wear and tear. Um, so that might be generally a much healthier reimbursement, and that's what we would do, and that's what I would think most good employers would do. I think your employer may be a little cheap in just reimbursing your actual mileage and oil change, because that's probably less than the mileage rate. So um, yeah. go back to so maybe push that angle. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you guys are a little chintzy on this. Um Okay, next question. This this is from Anonymous. They didn't put their name here, so I'm going to call them Anonymous. Um, real estate investor says, uh, what are the options available to me, dividends, distribution, bonuses, et cetera, and the tax implications to take money out of my corporation? And he says, LLC or C-Corp. That is producing, producing cash flow of $1 million plus a year. Now he says, the corp, no, I don't know if we're talking LLC or C-Corp, the corp does not have a board and I may want or sorry does have a board and I may want to avoid paying dividends so I don't have to pay the board as well. I'm not sure what that means there. But in the shareholders agreement, I as majority shareholder get 100% of the business's cash flow. Hold over 70%. Okay. A little tricky dissecting this and it's obviously a different answer between LLC and C Corp and I'm not sure the the angle here on the board either, Mark. I don't know what that refers to. Yeah. Um let me do a, I think it'd be helpful to just do a little training on this, just to educate people on the differences here, then try to answer this. I have some immediate thoughts. You want me to take first swing of this? Yeah, I'm gonna say this and, and sometimes Matt and I we, we have such great partnership we can call an audible. I would say to this anonymous uh question, you gotta rephrase it. You can't throw an LLC and C Corp in the same sentence. You can't say you're a majority shareholder getting all the cash flow. Those are those are weird things. And so that's cool. You may have a really good question, mm-hmm. but you didn't give us a lot of facts. And if you're trying to understand this and your accountant can't explain this to us and you've got a million dollars of cash flow, this is a question you should not be throwing out on an open forum. Freaking call one of our tax attorneys, give them the facts and say, I need a second opinion because I'm dealing with a million dollars here. And I need to have a hard answer on this. Yeah. So, Matt, I'm going to say yeah. you pass on that one. That's one that sounds very important, and it's something you should not be asking on an open forum because you need a very concrete, tailored answer to you, and you've got a lot of facts there that need to be cleaned up before we could answer it. That's my take. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say one Jim, point on this, though, which is why I brought up the question, which is there's a big misconception of a lot of people that is like, for example, in an LLC or even in your S corp that is, well, if I don't take the money out of the company, I don't have to pay the taxes on it. So I'm just letting this cash flow accumulate in my business and I'm just leaving it in the company bank account. And a lot of people mis- don't, they just presume, well, I haven't paid myself yet. So how could I be taxed on anything? No, 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 no. That is not how an LLC or an S corp or any pass through entity works. If you're making money, you're going to look at what is the profits you had, or what's your income, what's your expenses, what's your net profit. Whether you pull the money out of the company or not has nothing to do with what you're taxed on. So um, just keep that in mind. Don't fall into the misconception that just because you didn't take any money out of the company, you left it on the company bank account um, in your LLC, for example, that you're not going to pay any taxes. Um, so just be careful about that. It's a little different for a C-Corp. Um, and that's why this question is so convoluted and being able to answer. But I just want to give that a quick tip there on yeah. on LLCs yeah. and S-Corps. Very good. All right. I could make some comments um, too, but why don't you field an IRA question? What do you got? I got a caller. Mm-hmm. I got a screen here. Okay. All right. We got an IRA question here. This is from Marty. It says, um, I'm thinking about an SDRA for my brother and I. 
brother is almost on board, so we can buy another rental property in Idaho. I'm thinking about doing the same. Okay, it's great. Self-directed IRAs, real estate's the number one asset people are buying. Um, uh, question is, we already have over 10 rental properties, and we assume we'll use the same property manager. Could that be an issue on an audit? He's pretty hands-on and visits the property. If something big needs to be done, he coordinates the work. I assume that for the IRA property, he will need to let property manager handle all of that. Um, let me address that first question. There's a second part of this, too. So when your self-directed IRA owns real estate, or it owns an LLC that owns real estate, we call that an IRA LLC, um, you do need to take kind of a administrative and managerial role only. So now this gets into some of the gray area here, and I think this is light gray. Marty, I wouldn't stress too much about this in terms of property management. So you could be hands-on in visiting the property, coordinating what needs to be done. We just don't want you crossing the line of putting on the tool belt and swinging a hammer, doing the actual physical work. So if in your role as property manager, your brother on the properties your IRA owns, you know, or your brother's IRA owns it and their brother's visiting it, or the property manager you've hired, um, uh, we're okay with you doing the physical, sorry, the administrative and managerial work, just not crossing line on the physical. So everything you said there, I don't think that'd be an issue in an audit. Generally, what the IRS is looking for on self-directed accounts in an audit is they're looking first for you paying yourself, you know, your IRA paying you, your brother's IRA paying him. Now, one thing that's a little unique here between you and your brother is you're not disqualified. So IRAs, like, like Matt Sorensen cannot transact with Matt Sorensen's IRA. I couldn't pay – my IRA can't pay me to go work and remodel my property that my IRA owns or my company that you know to go – construction company to go do a remodel. That would be prohibited. I couldn't even pay my company to be the property manager. But my IRA could pay my brother to do it because he's not a disqualified person, or my brother's property management company. So in this role, and I know I'm not addressing your question directly in those scenarios, but I wouldn't stress too much about administrative managerial tasks. Um, all right, now the second question, this is an important one, one that comes up quite a bit on self-directed IRAs and real estate, is um, how, do we, how do we justify not taking advantage of the flow through passive losses from depreciation? With a self-directed IRA, we don't get that deduction. And if and when the property is sold, I assume you have to recapture. Can you speak to this uh, to this question? So what I would think of as dep on depreciation, which is a, usually a great thing, right, when you own real property, re rental real estate um, in your personal name or in a company you personally own, your LLC, that pass-through, that that. Depreciation is beneficial. It helps get some tax losses. Helps reduce an offset net income in the in the rental property itself. It's awesome. Well, in the IRA, you don't get that because the IRA doesn't pay tax on the rental income. It doesn't pay tax on the capital gain income. And so they're like, why are we going to let you take a depreciation expense against something that's not taxable income? So now let me correct you on that. You do not recapture when you sell. So because you weren't actually taking depreciation. So it doesn't help or hurt you. So I think it's kind of tax neutral. But the better deal is I pay no tax on the income, the rental income I'm collecting, and I pay no tax on the gain when I sell the property in my IRA. That's a better yep. deal than now getting a deduction on depreciation. Yeah, and if I could add two things. On the 990, sometimes an accountant will take the depreciation on the IRA know the IRA in tax, you book the depreciation. But it's a carry forward loss that when you go to sell the property, if there is, if your accountant goes through the process of taking depreciation, then there would be recapture, but then the carry forward depreciation loss would offset the recapture. So if someone if listening says, well, I'm going to take depreciation on the 990 because I'm supposed to. Okay, fine. It's a carry forward loss on the 990. And when you recapture depreciation... Yeah. The loss offsets the recapture. So you're back where you started anyway. So the IRS isn't going to care. And I have another and, major point and, here. Oh, Matt, go ahead. And also this on the yeah. 990T, let me just say that. If you have a loss, you don't need to file a 990T. That's a, that's a tax form an IRA files. But if you have a loss, um, the IRS doesn't care to get a 990T. So yeah. don't stress out about filing it. Yeah. And you can, but we don't, unless, unless you really want to. Let's say, I, yeah, 
But let's say your IRA is a part owner in an LLC with other non-IRA people. So that's very common. You may say, oh, I'm going to partner my money with my brother's IRA, just like this example kind of. Okay, cool. Well, you're going to do a 1065 tax return. You're going to take depreciation, and the IRA is going to get a K-1 with depreciation on it and a loss. Now, does the IRA have to do a 990T? Nope. There was no income and no UPIT or no UDFI. But when there is income and that comes to the K-1 to the IRA, the IRA will cash in all that depreciation that was given on the K-1s earlier. Now, I know that may be a more technical answer that some of you wanted, but the bottom line is don't worry about it. And here's the second point that I think is even far, far more important. And this is what really makes me upset. Sorry, Matt. I'm going to jump. Yeah, you know, I'm going to vent here for a second. There's a soapbox in front of you right now. Some, about to step up. Yeah, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> there are some real estate <laughs> training organizations out there. And so I don't get slapped with a, even a slander lawsuit, even if they wouldn't win. I'm not going to say their name. But they teach people around the country, and I hear it all the time. Don't put, a, don't put real estate in your IRA or 401K because you don't get the depreciation. Who cares? Why are we putting real estate in an IRA or 401K? Because when it's said and done, you're getting a better return on investment. Take depreciation off the table. If I get an ROI with cash-on-cash cash return and appreciation that's better than freaking Facebook stock, then buy real estate with your IRA or 401k. I do not know why these organizations are hell-bent on telling people, don't put real estate in your IRA because you don't get the tax benefit. Sure, but you get a great rate of return that's better than a mutual fund, nine times out of ten. That's why you're putting real estate in there. Don't hyper-focus on this depreciation. Sure, is it great in your own name? Yes, do it all day long. I own rentals in my own name, and I own rentals in my self-directed accounts. I own them in both. Anyway, Matt, that's my soapbox. So. Yeah, yeah, no, all I like right. it, and I, and I concur. I concur. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, before we go to a live caller, do you have one other question you want to hit? Yeah, I got one other one, and this will be a short one too. So this is from Dean, who says, um, can rental property with passive income qualify as an investment businesses for the purposes of earning 1099 income to contribute to a Roth Solo K? I've been told that this would be Ooh. passive income and hence would not qualify for consideration of earnings to contribute. All right. I love so, it. This is a great question. Yeah. So – when you set up a solo K, and we set those up in our firm for clients and done hundreds of them over the years, um, really cool strategy for those self-employed. But your self-employment must be business income. You must have ordinary income. Rental income generally does not qualify as business income. And so you can't say, well, I've got ABC Rental LLC with, with rental properties, and I'm going to have ABC Rental LLC set up my solo K. Because a, a solo K is a 401k plan that a company adopts for its employees. So what we're saying is, what's my company, and I'm adopting it for myself. Well, ABC Rental LLC is not a, does not have business income that qualifies to adopt a solo K. It's got rental income. So generally speaking, that would not qualify. So you couldn't do the Roth solo K in that scenario. Um, there is sometimes we can set up a property management company where you pay income and expense management fees out of your rental income and expense it there and pick it up on Schedule C as a sole prop management company and we'll adopt the solo K out of the management company. Now that takes some analysis on whether it's worth it and you got enough to justify it. Um, so sometimes there's a workaround there. Any thoughts, Mark, yep. on this? And Are I've, you going to go down the investment oh. business or the 199A? I don't know where you're going to go on this. <laughs> oh, you bet. Well, I have a YouTube video on this that people would love and it's called the backdoor 401k because hmm. investors that have a bunch of rental property aren't able to contribute to a 401k on their investment income. So I call it the backdoor 401k and we set up this management company that adopts a 401k and then bills your investment portfolio for its services only up to the amount that you want to throw in your 401k. So you zero it out. So you're getting a write-off and a 401k and no extra income. I mean, it's beautiful. So I love it. If you want to 
just go to YouTube and type backdoor 401k. You're going to love it. And um, I just said it a different way, same point that Matt made. A lot of clients sometimes set up an entity to do the backdoor 401k because they use that as a gateway drug to say, you know what, I got some other things I could do. I could do some consulting. I could sell some products mm-hmm. on eBay or Etsy. And so I'm going to knock out several birds with one stone and set up this little LLC or S Corp to manage my rentals as well as pick up some of this other side ideas I've got. So anyway, backdoor 401k. Yeah. I love it. All right. Now we're going to go to a live caller. We've got Lee, a regular listener here um, from Midland, Texas. And uh, I'm hoping we get him on the line here without any holdups. I think I've got a technical glitch here. So, Matt, why don't you fill another question? Lee, if you're listening, hang tight, bud. We'll get you out on the next one. Go ahead, Matt. Okay. All right. This is a question from Chris in Seattle. He says, I want to buy a car for my business. How do I handle that if I want to use it for personal use? I'll also be driving Uber on the side. Okay. Well, I got three things going there. Um, Until the business mentioned above is bringing in more money. How should I handle this scenario? Oof. Wow, those are some – that's three good scenarios there on how to, to uh, handle expenses on the car. Um, the first, let's just hit your business. That's the easiest. You're going to track your miles. What are the miles you're traveling for business, um, meeting customers, driving around and going to meetings, um, you know, providing services if you go on site or pro- properties if you're in real estate. Those are all miles you're going to expense and just take mileage. Nine times out of ten, unless you have a very, very expensive car with a high lease payment where you take actual. But nine times out of ten, or 99 out of 100, I should say, most business clients are taking mileage. Now, you can use it for personal and don't stress. Just all the personal miles, you're obviously you know, not going to be able to expense, and those are not deductible um, on your tax return. So track your mileage for the business. Um, now, on the Uber scenario, um, driving Uber, Mark does have some videos um, for Uber drivers specifically that talks about how to um, yeah. expenses when you're driving Uber. Um, you may want to check out Mark. I don't know if you want to give some cliff notes on that. Yeah. Well, and, and let me add a twist, and I was solving that technical problem, so I didn't get the full scope of the question. So I'll, I want to just say a couple things that might be helpful, Matt, and then you can add some bells and whistles. I've got a, a blog article published in January. It's on our law firm site and the markjkohler.com site. And it talks about the auto deduction in 2020. Uh, it's got a lot of shares and likes, and it's got a little grid or seven ways, seven scenarios on how you should write off your car. Now, Matt made an important point. If you just have some miles and, it's a, and you don't, you're not using it 50% or more for your business, then miles is going to be the, the general rule 99% of the time. But under the new Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, if you buy a more expensive car and don't have a lot of miles and you're using it for 50% or more for your business, um, the new actual write-offs are phenomenal because you can do bonus and depreciation on a car like you haven't able, been able to do for 30 years. They're amazing. But if you're driving Uber, what are you doing? You're putting on a lot of miles, and you're not going to be driving around a more expensive car is an Uber vehicle. So you're going to tend to lean towards miles. And if you have a more higher value dollar car with lower miles, we're going to lean towards actual. Then if you throw the SUV or truck into it, you got a whole other uh, mix of ideas. So I've got some YouTube videos on this, the blog article. They're all together. I've got longer videos in my tax and legal library at markjcolder.com where you can really take a deep dive. Um, and you want to know this, but more than your accountant, you want to really understand and collaborate with your accountant doing your tax return to make sure you're making the right decision here. So, Matt, anything you want to add to after that? No. Sounds great. I, okay. I concur. All right. <laughs> okay. I took first swing, so. Um, another question? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. This one's from Alana. This is a great one. Um not that, you know, everyone's questions aren't great. I just, this is a good one. I think a lot of people appreciate this uh, question and have been in this scenario. So, uh, so I have a landscape um, design and construction company in California, 
and for 2019 was a sole proprietor and also have a W-2 from a part-time job that I no longer work at now in 2020. I'm interested in starting an S-Corp for 2020. Do you recommend starting an LLC and then an S-Corp or just an S-Corp? How much does your company charge to file for an S-Corp or LLC? Do you do a quick consultation over the phone? Do you have something in office? I'm in, I'm in California. All right, so um, great question. So um, already has the business in operation, Alana, sounds like. Um, starting to focus on it more in 2020 as you're no longer doing your part-time job. Love that. And, and for a lot of people, that's the best way to start the business. Still do some work. Still get some W-2. Ramp it up. Start as a sole proprietor. Keep it simple. Get your business going. But now we presume you're going after it more. You're probably making more money. And the S-Corp in 2020 would be a good consideration. Now, our rule of thumb is typically going to be around 40 to 50 grand of net income. You're in California, so there's a little more expenses for the state and fees for an S-Corp. But generally, if you're going to get 40 to 50 grand of net income after everything you can expense in your landscape design and construction company, um, we're going to recommend doing the S-Corporation. And um, now that comes with baggage. There's some things you got to do. You got to file a tax return for the S-Corp and you got to start doing at least quarterly payroll with it. But as you know, and the, I presume the reason you're asking about the S-Corp is you want the tax savings. Because even at 50 grand, you may be saving a few thousand bucks in self-employment tax by going that way. And that's no chump change. That'll pay for the fees to the state. That'll pay for an accountant to help you with this stuff. And you'll still have money net in your pocket um, and be saving on taxes. And as you grow the business even more, and you're at 100000 or more in income, you know, the savings are obviously much more significant. So um, that's the first consideration is what's your net income? And that's what the attorneys here are going to ask in a consult to really help dial in and let you know whether the S-Corp is going to save you taxes today, or I should say in 2020. Yeah. yeah. And I think the easy answer here in some ways is to say, even in California, when in doubt, when you know you've got a two to three, five or 10-year business model. You're not going to give up. You're going to work hard. You're going to make this work. Um, but you're not sure what this year is going to look like. Just set up the LLC. Mm -hmm. Be done with it. Get it set up. Get your corporate credit going. Get your tax ID number going. Get your bank account going. Brand yourself. And then we can always do an S election later. They're the same price uh, to do an S corp or yeah. LLC setup. So do the LLC setup and the S election down the road. We charge like $100. So it's very affordable. Yeah. So... Just do the LLC for and now. And in California, can... yeah, and that's like if you're, and I think that's a good route on this, whether you LLC with an S selection or an S corp. For those in California, if you already know you're going to be at fifty thousand net income, we're just going to do an S corp. We're not going to presume. If you're right. like, you know what, I'm still in startup, I don't know, then we would say, all right, let's go with the LLC, and we can add the S selection later, and at the end of the year, and say, hey. You add up doing 50 grand net income or 40 grand, you know, let's add the S election. You're going to save tax by doing it. But if you already know, just for the fees and the way that the, the franchise tax gets billed, we're usually going to go S Corp if that's what you're going to go for in California and you know you're already going to hit that 50,000 net income. So, yeah. um, by the All way, right. we charge 800 bucks for an S Corp or an LLC, 800 bucks for, and you get an attorney consult. You know, with one of our tax lawyers, we do have an office in Southern California. I see you're in Northern California, Alana. So, um, but we're helping clients by phone, doing tax consults, email, Zoom, however you like to meet um, virtually. You know, we're doing those consults on a daily basis, and so come to us for the expertise, and uh, we can help get this set up for you in a in a right way. And if you want the paralegal setup, we have that at 400 bucks for an LLC, 450 for an S corp. Um, where there's no attorney consult, but you, our paralegals set up for you at your direction. Yeah. And I just had a phone call this morning with a client that set up an entity with us, and they're, he's a doctor. He and his wife, they're, they're very smart people, and they've called me three times during the process, which is included. We're trying to get that one-hour consult even cut up in pieces, and they've been like, okay, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Okay, cool, thanks. Now they could have done it for a few hundred dollars cheaper at LegalZoom or used our paralegal service, same price as LegalZoom, but having that hand-holding during your first entity is so helpful. So be careful mm -hmm. trying to cut corners because you're going to pay for it one way or the other, either in a mistake or just paying for a consult later. All right, now we're mm -hmm. going to go live on the line with this. Uh, Lee in Midland, Texas, a regular listener and follower. Lee, are you there? I'm here. Are you there? 
Oh, yeah, thanks. We got you. Technically, we're trying to get you out. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I hope you and Mark you got Matt are having a great new year. No, 2023. Yeah, new going well. Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, thanks, good. Lee. What do you got for uh, well, two things. I went to a RIA meeting uh, last sat- Saturday in San Angelo and found out that any Tex- uh, Texas veteran that opened an LLC between 2016 and the, uh, December 31st of last year gets all their uh, LLC uh, uh, fees waived. Mm-hmm. And so I called it the state, and they will backdate it. And so it's taken me about 45 minutes to do the paperwork. And I'm going to get that uh, money re- refunded to me. So you might, uh, any of your listeners out there that hear this, uh, call into the state and and get their money back. Oh, and that's the setup fee. They'll go back in time up to four years and refund it to you if you fill out the paperwork. Right. And I okay. also have the registered agent changed, and I get that fee changed back to me. And when you guys helped me set up the LLC, uh, we did a um, – doing business as, and that has to be done through the state for the LLC, and I get that fee sent back to me, which is $25. So uh, you guys helped me set up two LLCs, so that's 600 bucks for me for an hour's worth of work. That's pretty good money. That's yeah, awesome. Texas's good filing job. fee is pretty high. And I just heard about this maybe, uh, I don't know, a few months ago from I think one of the other attorneys that was helping a client on that, and I – we kind of just got cued into this that you can get that fee exemption if you are a veteran um, on Texas. I didn't know that they were refunding it. That's that's uh, that's very good to know. We'll have to look up some of yeah. our other Texas clients that see if any of them are veterans. That's a that's a good perk and good for those. Good for Texas for providing that fee exemption and a little uh, help to veterans who are starting a business. Yeah, yeah, uh, love right. it. It worked good out tip. good for me. Now my question. My question is, when I set up this, uh, set up a series, or I wanted to set up a series LLC for my 401k, and uh, mm-hmm. they told me that they didn't quite recommend a series for a 401k. Can you kind of explain why? Because I didn't understand. When you say uh, they, who's I they? I just took their word for it. Uh, Devin helped me set it up. Devin. Devin in our office? Yes. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Now, is this series That's LLC like Who your investment? No, I don't know. <laughs> good, good, good point. Good point. Um, let me ask something. This, this series LLC, you mean that's going to be your investment entity, that the, the Solo K is going to own it, and then the series – sorry, the Solo K is going to yeah. own the series LLC. The series LLC will presumably own the assets, rentals, or whatever it is right. you're buying. Okay. I mean, it depends on the – you could do suggested. it. It's, yeah, I, I would do it, actually depending on the scenario, but it would depend on how much assets you have and how many properties you'll have in there. So I just treat it like a regular series LLC analysis, which is, you know, are you going to own multiple properties or do you already? And do we want separate liability protection? Because there's a lot of equity between those. And so, you know, if there's a couple hundred thousand in the solo K, I wouldn't stress about it and do it at this point. I just do a regular LLC and you can convert it into a series later but if you're like, you know what, I already got six hundred grand in this solo K, and I'm going to buy a few rentals out of the gate, um, or already have a couple, then I could go for a series right now. You know, I think that extra liability protection of the separate series for each property with that much assets is definitely worth it because it's more in fees. You know, so generally we want to set it up. You know, you pay us more. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah. I don't know okay. what's the size. You know, you now. can give us the size of your 401k if you want. You know, we're not talking about on the phone. I was just trying to give you some metrics there. Right. It was, it was zero. And we started off with zero, so that's why. Uh, it was that's why. Not yeah, because you can convert to it. And Devin's being good and, like, you know, we can convert a regular LLC into a series LLC later once assets are larger. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, well so I hope you all have a great uh, year and – yeah, no problem. I, but I was going to say I'm upset because I expected one of my attorneys 
to stick it to a client and fill them for as much as possible. And, uh, and yeah. uh, him not selling you on a series, I'm not happy about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's sarcasm. Just to be clear, everybody, that's uh, Mark Core sarcasm. If you didn't, if you didn't pick up on it. Yeah, and you yeah. know, and I, well, that's I, why I, I do business. Being... And and I'm being. Oh, let's, let's be serious though. You could be at some place, corporate headquarters or elsewhere, that would have sold you that ten times over, and a couple of Nevada entities to go with it, you know. And so, yeah. but we're trying to get the right size, the right fit for what you're doing now, and not pretend like you know you're you, know, you have a hundred properties and say it's an elaborate structure that's going to kill you on fees, and and also be way more of an administrative nightmare than you need. So we're trying to get what fits right now. But the series is something that's nice to ease into, too. And Texas has it, so it's nice you can convert and ease into it and add that complexity and additional fees when you need it. Well, this is why I do business with you all, and this is why I suggest you all to everybody that I know, because you guys do watch out for me, you know, in my back, yeah. and that's what I need, because I don't know all the rules and everything, and I need somebody watching out for me. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's what the, you know, Gregory Peck, did in To Kill a Mockingbird. He actually, the good old days when lawyers kind of took care of their clients, and now there's a few out there that just look to bill as much as they can. Yeah. Anybody through a divorce lately? Have you had that feeling? Anyway, okay. All right, we'll move on. <laughs> Lee, thank you. <laughs> You're awesome. I appreciate it. Okay, thank Mr. Sorensen, what's our next question? Thanks. Yeah. All right. Um, Question was, this is from uh, Vanessa, she asked, can your board members also do side projects for your business? For example, if you had a board member that happens to be an experienced welder and you have a fencing job, can you hire that board member to work on the fe that fence and 1099 them? Ooh, great question. Um, so is it, you guys know we're all about having board members be, you know, having a board in your company, whether it's an operating company or real estate investment company, and getting even just a board of advisors for your LLC, um, getting some of that expertise and mentoring and, and adding some family members in that, you know, that are really part of your business is really important. But that does not restrict you from paying them. You can 1099 your board members if you'd like. Um, uh, if they're performing a separate service, now it would be best if they have a separate company. You know, you'd want to pay them in that separate manner. Um, and I think a lot of board members, you're not going to pay them for being a board member. For most of our clients, their board are totally unpaid. And these are people that want to help you, and, and you know, they're not paid guns for hire, like Rudy Giuliani, who gets like a million dollars a year for going to Ford board meetings on some random company that he knows nothing about what they're doing. Um, there's board members like that. But these are board members you're not paying maybe you're reimbursing any expenses if they have any you know you're buying them dinner when you go out to meet or something but that's pretty much it yeah. uh, is there any restrictions now, on the 1099 mark from a tax standpoint no no yeah and this is is tricky i'll say uh, just to add to that in a small business scenario oftentimes it's going to be your kids your adult children that are on the board or a parent or an aunt or uncle yeah. or niece or nephew because you're trying to integrate them into your business create write-offs for when you travel to visit them. And if my son says, hey, I'll go shoot video for you when you're in Chicago, I'm like, sweet, I'm going to send him a 1099. And he's on my board. That's cool. Now, where this caller might, uh, or this listener with their question might be coming from is, there are restrictions and concerns with this if you're in a nonprofit first. Let's go there first. So if you have a nonprofit charity and you've been serving one, and they go, oh, you can't pay the, board, pay the board members for something they're helping the charity with. That would probably be a conflict of interest. There would be probably some restrictions on that and some concerns, and the IRS is not too excited about a charity lining the pockets of the directors with fees. And so there's, there's really a lot of concerns there. So when you heard that, you may thought, oh, that applies to my business. Nope, that's charities. And then also um, board members of publicly traded companies, like this Giuliani example of Matt's. If Giuliani goes to the board meeting and says, hey, by the way, I got this uh, construction company down on the east side of New York. We'll do all this work for you for this little pretty price. You know, now there's mm -hmm. another concern of self-dealing, and shareholders might go, what the hell? You're like you're doing all these sweetheart deals for your board members, and it's screwing us over the shareholders. So that's where you may hear things like that, but in a small business scenario, there's nothing to that. So don't worry about it. Stick to the 1099, and you're going to be – 
in safe haven. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, man. Yeah. And I would, you know, obviously you're paying that person for the, you know, then this, the welder, you know, you're paying them and they're probably picking up his income in their welding business and expensing things for that. And that's kind of separate services anyways, outside of them being a board member. So I like it. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Next question. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, this is, gets down an ass. Let's see. I'm trying to decide which one to hit here. Okay, here we go. Um, this is from Mike in San Diego. Um, my partners and I live in California are looking to purchase a multifamily apartment out of state, specifically in Arizona or Oklahoma. Would this be a joint venture? Would a tenant in common structure be the best formation, or what would you recommend? Mm. All righty. Can I take first stab now? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to let you have first dibs on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, first thing I would say, many of you out there listening, a JV is, a, is sometimes the shorthand term for a joint venture agreement, a JV. And when we have clients that are just doing kind of a one-off deal, maybe they're going to import some product and sell it on a website or import product into a sales or service distribution network, maybe even possibly a quick fix and flip or rehab, and they just want a JV, and they're going to run the deal primarily through one of the partner's entities. So they have some asset protection, but they just kind of want to JV on one particular deal. Um, We're okay with that in in a limited circumstance. We have a JV agreement. A lot of times we'll send out to our clients that's a template they can play with, send it back to us, then we'll review it with you and look for holes and protect you and make sure you execute it properly. But when you've got multiple people involved and a long-term hold like a rental property, you do not want a tenant in common and you do not want a JV. You're going to pony up, do an LLC, mm-hmm. do it right, get the joint and vicarious liability protection, get a bank account, get a tax ID number. You're going to have to do a tax return, let the LLC own the property. And it's simple. It's affordable. That's what LLCs are built for. Don't try, try to reinvent the wheel. And just yeah. In California, all of you listening, you are so freaked out by the LLC $800 minimum tax. Chill. Jeez, it's like it's the it's the cost of doing business. If you don't like California, move out like I did. I lived in California for eight years, and I got sick of the fees and the taxes and the traffic and all of it. Now I go back and visit, and I love the food and the people and the atmosphere of California. But I don't want to live in it and pay the fees. So either deal with it and pay for the LLC and do it right, or move. And I know you're in San Diego going, but Mark, you don't know. Oh, yes, I do. I know San Diego. It's so <laughs> wonderful. And it costs 10 times more to live there than 90% of the rest of the country. So it's up to you. But don't try to cut corners. Yeah. You're only going to screw yourself in the end. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm on one today, Matt. I feel bad. I know. I, really I, I don't know. You know, I – hey, I feel that. I, so many people are doing things that cause them more – pain and havoc they just don't realize it to get around the llc when the llc is perfect for what they want to do in california i don't know if it's what's going on in the rias out there or what everybody's freaked out on paying their 800 fees to to california now it's like 60 bucks a month you know that and if you're in a multifamily deal with multiple properties you guys are splitting that up so um it's not the end of the world and i'll say this too that's what anybody buying a multifamily property would do 99 out of 100 people that do multifamily are doing that. And so if you go in with a tenant in common deal and a joint venture agreement, everybody's going to be like, what is going on here? And and the, from the title company to the, the who you're buying it from to the other agents, it's going to be like – yeah, you're just gonna you're just gonna look weird, and and trust me, it's gonna be worth sixty bucks a month just to just just for that. Um, plus, then you get to the bank account. Where are you gonna set up the bank account? Whose names are gonna be in? You got a joint venture agreement and a tenant in common deal. If when it's the LLC, banks are gonna say, "We'll set up yeah. a bank account in the name of the LLC." It's easy. I know who's the manager on this LLC. Oh, all the partners are. Right, you guys got all signers. Great. Here's all your access to it. And and so it's just. From the, just even the little practical things, it just drive you nuts. So stick with the LLC. Okay. Now, the way to go. Two, okay, yeah. And rather than rent and rave, let me give two tips. Now, this is important. Anybody listening that's doing business in California or lives in California, two important tips. Uh, what was that client, that listener's name in San Diego, first name? What was his first name, Matt, so I can reference him? 
you still have it? Uh, I believe it was I believe it was Mike. I'm going back. Okay, Mike. Yep, Mike. Okay, Mike, Mike here's the deal. Okay, now first, everybody, if Mike's going to do a multifamily property hold in Arizona or Oklahoma, he's going to set up an LLC. Now, this is so important. He's going to set up an LLC in Arizona or Oklahoma. He does not have to register that LLC foreign in California. All he has to do is file his Form 568, pay his $800 minimum tax because he's doing business by picking up a phone call if he's a manager of that LLC, which will bring me to point two. You, so you're going to file that form with the Franchise Tax Board of California, mm-hmm. pay your 800 bucks. Now, the, eight, the franchise tax on an LLC is a gross receipts tax. If that multi-unit was up the way in Fresno and it had gross receipts of a million dollars, the $800 is going to be more. But because it's doing business out of the state of California, it's capped at 800 So don't worry about the gross receipts factor when the property is outside of California. Number two, mm, let's say my great point. said it's going to be – yeah, and he's, let's say he's going to have three or four partners. If none of the managers of the LLC live in California, you don't even have to pay the 800 So, Mike, you live in San Diego, and one of your partners lives in Phoenix, and you're going to buy a property in Oklahoma. You set up an Oklahoma LLC and make your partner in Phoenix the manager, and all of you as members tell him what to do under the agreements and terms of the LLC. Now you don't have to pay in California at all because, Mike, you are not a manager of the LLC. But if all of your partners are in California and all of you or one or two of you are managers of that LLC, you've got your minimum 800. So we know this rule backwards and forwards. So we're going to minimize it for you. But don't chase your tail with the tick or JV. Bam. Yeah. I dropped my phone. I like I it. That was, that Man, that should have been – yeah, good thing we're recording this. That was good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Next question. I need yeah. to get two more in. Okay. All right. This is from this is from Emily and from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Love that. Um, go blue, right? Um, <laughs> she says. Um, she gives some props to Mark, by the way, here for his uh, tax and legal library. Um, so. Oh, thank just, you. Uh, and yeah. also at the business owners workshop that she sat on. So, um, I'm just gonna skip Ooh. through that. Just gloss over. But I just I just wanted well, to know. I will say right now, Mark, ninety nine bucks, ninety nine bucks for the business mm-hmm. owner workshop. Seven-hour recording. Just get to markjkohler.com, and you can watch it yeah. over and over again with bowl of popcorn and diet coke. And it's available yeah. for the next fully month endorsed or two. by Emily. Yeah, fully endorsed by Emily in Michigan. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so, All right. Here's a question. All right. So she says, um, when setting up a revocable living trust, aside from owning my personal property, like your house, for example, should the trust own my rental property LLC asset side as well as my small business LLC? Operation side. Oh, she did go to Mark's workshop. Uh, she says the business is only a few months old and it's producing too low revenue presently to convert to an S corp. So, all right. So, uh, what do you think, Mark? I mean, I'll, I'll let you hit this one. The too. answer. I is, mean, she's right yes. out of your workshop. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so anybody, anybody, uh, anybody out there listening, if you have said a yes. local living trust, would, yeah, we we recommend. All of our clients to have a revocable living trust estate plan if they have children, second marriage, or any Mm -hmm. real estate or small business. So that's almost all of our clients. And then your revocable living trust is going to own your home, own the LLCs that own your rentals. It's going to own your S-Corp or LLC that does your ops. It's going to be the beneficiary of the life insurance, beneficiary of your self-directed IRAs, beneficiary of your self-directed 401k. All of it flows down into your trust. Love it. Emily, you're rocking it. And everybody, when we set up an estate plan, we'll do up to, we either do a two, three, or a one, two, meaning we'll transfer one of those deeds for free into your home um, and do two company transfers, or we'll do two deeds and three company transfers, depending on the package you get. So we'll do a lot of this for you when you set up your trust. So Emily, love it. Great question. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing to keep in mind is when you're setting up your trust is we're going to help you fund it. And even though you may be like, hey, my LLC's only got one rental um, or I just started this business, you don't want to come back and worry about it. Just get it all funded. You know, it's easy. It's internal paperwork and documents. 
And you're going to grow those things. That business is going to hopefully grow and turn into something significant. The LLC is going to own more rentals. As you set up future LLCs, if you do them for, set for future rentals, you just know list the trust as the owner from the beginning. So, um, yeah, definitely get that, that coordinated. And that's part of the process, as Mark said, in setting that up. All right. Um, you think we can get one more in? Yeah, I think we can. <clears throat> okay, let's see. You have Let me get to a good one. I do not. I'm just looking for one, actually. This is I. The IRA ones get emailed to me. I was, Mark sent me some bunch of that we hadn't got to in prior shows that I'm kind of filtering through here. Um, man, you guys really. Here's let me say this. It's, it's, this is helpful. When you said if you're putting bullet points in your question to us, we are not going to be able to read that on the air. That's going to take me two minutes just to read your question. So. Be specific about the question you want ask, answered. Um, don't try to give us too much detail um, and, and a series of questions that go along with it. Um, and if you have bullet points and a question that in-depth, just set up a half hour. Just set up a half hour with one of our tax lawyers. They're going to answer all those and then keep a file on you. So every time you call once or twice a year, we can pick up where we left off, and, and it'll, mm-hmm. you'll love it. So, Okay. All right, I got a good one here. This is pretty straightforward. Um, this is Karen from Florida. Um, she says, we have uh, two rental properties in Florida and want to put them in an LLC for asset protection. Um, should it be set up as member-managed or manager-managed? Ooh. Okay. Ooh, great nice. question. Um, we are always going to go manager-managed. For any LLC, mm-hmm. IRA LLC, we want to do manager-managed. The primary reason for that is Manager is just says who the officer is. It doesn't say who the owner is. But if I do member managed, member means owner or shareholder. If I say member managed, I got to list who the member manager is. Therefore, anyone would know who owns this entity. So manager managed gives you a little more privacy that way. It's also, we think, just a cleaner way to do it. You're the manager on behalf of the company acting when you sign, kind of like president of the corporation. You have the authority to act for the company. Um, so that, that's generally the, the best way to go and what we're going to recommend. Yeah. And let me make a couple of examples with two points. I had a client just last week call me up and say, hey, Mark, I'm down at the bank. We're opening up a new bank account, and we had three members, and the bank wants a copy of the article's that were filed with the state to show the member was removed because now there's only two members. So they got rid of a partner in their LLC Mm. and they went to open a new Mm -hmm. bank account because they hated the bank they were at and the the old partner had made them go there. And they're like, screw that. We're going to a new bank. They get over there and the banker's like, well, this partner's gone. We need to see that you filed something with the state to show that. And I got on Mm -hmm. and called me up and he's like, Mark, what's going on? And I said, this is a manager managed LLC. You do not have to do that. He called the bank. The bank said, nope, you got to do it. I went ballistic. I'm like, I'm so sick of these bankers. So I got on a phone call with the client, with the person at the front line. And, of course, it was a 21-year-old at the desk, didn't know what they were doing. I tried to be kind, but they were a little snippety, so I freaking torn to him. I said, give me your manager. Got the manager on the phone. I'm like, this is a manager-managed LLC. The only thing you need to know is the manager. He's like, you're right. I go, go train your people better. You've wasted my client's time and my time, and we're opening the bank account now. We're going to somewhere else. And the guy's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got it. And so the beauty of this is, is when it's manager managed, no one needs to know who the members are, even the bank, and you can operate without having to amend anything at the state when you change ownership. Side note for Floridans, you've got the stamp tax. Be careful. When you go buy property in Florida, there's no state tax. I know mm-hmm. you love it. It's the Pansia. Oh, good weather. Oh, and, and it's beautiful. And you've got Miami Vice reruns. I love, you know, it's great that you've got to realize that when you transfer your property into an LLC, the state tries to make up for no state tax by charging what's called stamp tax. Now, it's a one-time fee to move it from your name to the LLC. So just know it's going to hit you. Try to find a loophole if you can. There's exemptions. And always, when you're buying rentals in Florida, try to buy it in the name of the LLC and work with your lender so that you don't have to go through the Mm -hmm. transfer after the fact, which is fine. Just, Just try to work around it. So Anyway, good way to go. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, we've got a little tune here. I'll let you take us out. You got yeah, man. Seconds, but that's the, say something really smart. That's the sound. Say something smart. Oh, geez, I can't handle that pressure. Hey, thanks so much for making it through today's episode of Refresh Your Wealth. We love all the I'll questions. Do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Buy low, sell high. 
fly low somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Easier said than done. Um, give us. I was just gonna make a plug for five star If you can, give us one. We'd appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com.